Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about Deadstream, a new movie that just kind of came out of nowhere from writer-director Joseph Winter and Vanessa Winter, and starring Joseph Winter. And it's a uh, found footage comedy horror film that I absolutely loved, and we have a great conversation coming up about it. With filmmaker Josh Stifter, who's been on the show before, but he has a film out right now called Greywood's Plot. So we cover Deadstream, and then we're also going to talk about his film Greywood's Plot at the end of the conversation. So it's kind of a twofer episode today. We're talking about two movies. So that's coming up here in a second. Before we get to it, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. And we actually just uh, switched podcast hosts, so um, now is especially an important time to make sure you're subscribed. Everything should have transferred over smooth, but, you know, just in case, make sure you're subscribed wherever it is that you like listening to podcasts. And, of course, you can follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. So with that said, let's talk about Deadstream. All right, we've got Josh Stifter back with us to talk about Deadstream, and I am so looking forward to talking about this movie. It's just so ridiculous. Josh, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, I'm excited. This when you asked online if anyone wanted to talk about certain movies, and Deadstream came up. I was like, "Oh, I'm so down!" And I had just watched it like the day before. Yeah, and absolutely loved it. I've watched it twice again since. So oh, I'm kind nice. of I'm kind of obsessed with it. <laughs> <laughs> I I I absolutely loved it, and uh, it, it fits in perfectly with some of the stuff like we've talked about on the show before. We did Malignant last year, which of course has gone on to a life of its own at this point yeah. but uh you know we, we we have talked about our love of crazy over the top horror and uh this fits squarely in that and i think we'll have maybe some overlap from that conversation but then also a whole lot of other uh aspects of when horror goes off the deep end uh in this movie and that that's you know of course what i love so much about it um what was this movie on your radar at all before no. like it just kind of popped up right it's like out of nowhere, literally right? zero yeah. and i'm a film festival guy like i hit the film fest and i watch what people are watching and i pay attention to what's happening but this movie must have got plucked up from one of the the film festivals but it played a little bit under the radar you know maybe it played at like 
um, Fantastic Fest or something like sure. that, and or you know even South by or something like that. But and there's a lot of those movies that at those sort of higher tier festivals, horror festivals tend to get um, the littler movies get lost in the mix because they're pushing the big movie. Like they have you know the new horror movie from James Wan or whatever there, and so then they the, these lesser movies kind of get uh, thrown thrown too low i mean it even happened with graywood's plot my movie at mm. fright fest you know you're at fright fest you're up against huge movies oh, which is hilarious because like it opened that festival that i was at with graywood's opened with uh neil blumkamp's newest movie and everyone went to it and walked out just like what is that yeah. and then the rest of the the rest of the uh festival like everything was being compared to that in like a positive way. Like, well, at least it wasn't the Neil Blumkamp movie, <laughs> which I, you know, both is a positive and negative because I was going into it really hoping I was, I was excited to see that movie. Yeah, and it sure. was not, not what I wanted, not what anyone really wanted. And mm. now no one talks about that movie. Yeah. But um, yeah, I didn't, I knew nothing about it. Then I saw Shudder posted it and I was like, man, people are talking about this movie. And I, I'm a huge found footage fan. I know that found footage sometimes gets the, the, you know, crapped on i don't know i don't have a better way to say it but yeah, it, it gets enough. the short end of the stick mm -hmm. and i but like every year there's like two or three found footage movies that i'm like i i absolutely love this i can't say that there's two or three drama movies i love every year or mm -hmm. two or three of almost any other genre so um yeah this one i went into with very knowing very little and was very surprised yeah, I'm not as in on uh, found footage as you are, but like when they're done well, it can be such a fun genre and so unique. And uh, every time that a, a filmmaker actually like kind of knocks it out of the park with a found footage movie, it, it just elevates it so much because it, it's not like anything else that you've seen. And then when they are kind of the same old, same old, then it is like everything you've seen. And then it's just, you know, not as good. But yeah, which uh, tends to be the studio versions. Sure. So like every year there's like that's the thing about found footage is it's like completely two ends of the spectrum where you yeah. have the like paranormal activity movie that comes out every year. Yeah. And it's just like the same rehashing of the same thing. And I watch about half of them and I'm always like, okay, I, that's something I did. And then, uh, but then there's always the like host or the, you know, dead stream or whatever that comes out every year that I'm always like, okay, cool. This worked for me. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's start getting into some puzzle pieces and, uh, we'll talk more about this movie along the way. What do you have for your first piece for dead stream? I'm I'm gonna go very obvious with my first piece, and that's Evil Dead Two. Yes. Like the movie was very, very like obviously a love affair with Evil Dead Two. You could tell that the whole time they were going like, "What if Ash was a bumbling social media idiot and <laughs> just embraced it 100 percent?" Yeah, absolutely. And this movie was sold to me uh, as you're gonna love it. It's basically a found footage Evil Dead Two, and I was like, I almost went into it with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, like, "Nah." you don't know me i'm not gonna i'm not gonna exactly. like it exactly and, and then boom it's like just it's perfect but uh yeah it, it's so much fun in that way and that that like the perfect mesh of of horror and comedy and of kind of an idiot protagonist and th there's a thing that the evil dead movies do so well that a lot of horror comedy doesn't always do in that ash is always kind of getting beat up by yeah. the zombies or the the deadites, you know, and like, and here in this movie, they they capture that same thing where he's like, yes, he he's in danger of dying of getting killed by these things, but he's also just getting 
beat up and kicked around by them too and it's like i don't know it just makes for such great physical comedy in the midst of everything else going on which i feel like a lot of uh people these days like right now in the film scene there's this sort of like highbrow thing of okay we can't three stooges it up we can't go stupid with it that yeah. that's low brow and the truth is, it's not. It's funny. Mm-hmm. Funny is funny. Like yeah. you, the first thing you do to make a kid laugh is fall over. Like babies find that stuff funny. We're not that different than babies. We're still idiots who laugh at things when they're funny. Yeah. And they did a really good job. There's a moment in the movie where he goes to take a piss, and there's like, you know, it's right before we f- see the first ghost, I think, or something. I can't remember exactly the timing of it, but in the scene, I remember being like, this is wonderfully lowbrow like it's just this is so perfectly lowbrow yeah i i love as a composer i love uh his his cassette tape with the score which yes. uh, which he composed himself by the way the director but uh yeah that i mean that's just like such like silly goofy jokes like you know and it, it just fits so well in here it cuts through the tension of it actually being a horror movie at the same time uh just great stuff all around there it's pretty hard these days to make me like actually laugh out loud i'm a visceral film watcher like i react how i'm feeling and i've noticed that over the past like five years or so maybe 10 years the the only movies that really make me laugh out loud big are tend to be kids movies like Mm. you know pixar disney movies will get a visceral laugh out of me and like scorsese movies tend to make me laugh (laughs) because they're just so like you know like wolf of wall street i was laughing the whole movie yeah but this one i when the first time he reveals like his contraption to film himself yeah with the like audio and he's like he's like i i like audibly viscerally like burst out laughing at how like obnoxious that was because my brain started like wrapping itself around like okay this is a horror movie he's gonna be running from ghosts and we're not gonna see this contraption through the movie probably very much but we're gonna know it's there the whole time. <laughs> As a filmmaker, that also must have like really been a, uh, like extra funny for you, like to My, see all that shit. Yeah, the movie I'm working on, on right now, Scumbag, is a movie I filmed during quarantine by myself in my basement, and that's the kind of stuff I did. It literally was like weird contraptions, you know, uh, GoPros hanging on wires uh-huh. from my ceiling so I could film myself, stuff like that. And that's so awesome. seeing that, I was just like, this is so on point. Well, that's a great uh, segue into my first puzzle piece because uh, I'm going to bring up Bo Burnham's Inside. Uh, nice. One man show uh, about basically he's kind of he he's doing stand up, but he's kind of also like an influencer YouTube culture kind of guy in that special. And it's all POV. It's all just this this one kind of narcissistic, obnoxious persona, like an entitled white guy who's like only worried about his follower counts and whether or not he's going to get canceled for things and just, you know, just that whole culture of social media influencer, YouTuber is captured so well in Inside, and this does it just as well. Um, Every aspect of it from what actually happens in those videos to the personas of the people who make those videos and kind of the effects of those videos on the public at large. Like, there's so much funny stuff happening there. And Inside was fantastic and such a product of the pandemic. Like you said, uh, starting on your film uh, during the pandemic, I'm sure Deadstream most likely was a pandemic, you know, influenced definitely influenced by it like there's no doubt in my mind that if nothing else this idea for doing it yourself came 
based on just like other movies did during the pandemic, it it influenced it inspired a lot of what's happening right now in films in yeah. in more ways than one. And um, I love that reference. And it also just made me realize, like, I showed the first maybe 10 minutes or so to my kids. They're six and nine. And because they're they watch YouTube videos all the time. And I wanted to be like, I was like, you guys watch this, watch this guy. Mm. And they bought that he was a YouTuber. Like they <laughs> seriously could not wrap their head around the fact that it was just a movie. And I did the same thing. Not so much like being like, hey, this is a YouTube guy. But I, there was one song in the Bo Burnham one that I played for the my kids because I thought it was funny. I can't remember which it was. I mean, that's a few years old now and I can't remember exactly what it was, but for the same reason, because I was like, this is like influencer mentality. Yeah. And trying to show my kids like there's a positive and a negative to all of this YouTube stuff you're watching. But they were, they watched the first 10 minutes of this movie and were just like, can we keep watching? And I'm like, I'm going to watch it first and then I'm going to let you guys watch it if it's not too bad. And honestly, I think I'm going to let them watch it as one of their early like forays into horror nice um yeah. although with that being said there's they have no my kids aren't i don't like censor them they can watch whatever the hell they want i don't sure. care um they choose to censor themselves they won't watch horror they won't watch anything even pg-13 movies they make me like show them the trailer and talk it through when i was nine if i could get my hands on an r-rated movie it was like oh i'm sneaking this i'm watching it when my parents sure. are in bed like i will be watching this so it's yeah. funny the difference but um he definitely hit the nail on the head as far as what in what these influencers are like and i enjoyed seeing like the build up of viewership as he was progressing and the oh questions and the comments that were coming in because it truly is that i felt like that's what would happen like it as much as this movie had uh, it was a movie you never were like truly believing that it was happening they sure. never even they didn't definitely didn't care about that it's still in that world, I felt like I would be tuning into this. My buddy would have sent me this and been like, look at this guy. He's like making this crazy video. Yeah. I can't tell if it's fake or real or what's happening, but you got to check it out. Yeah. And a lot of times in like these kind of screen life type movies where you're, where you're seeing YouTube in real time or any of that kind of stuff, like the comments are just generic, like whatever. But I feel like you could watch this movie and just focus on the comments and there's probably so many jokes that you're missing by not looking at the comments on the screen during the movie and th there's so much funny stuff happening on there there is there's a ton like the second time i watched it that's kind of why i did was because i was curious um what sort of stuff was popping up on screen what people were saying like the little details that i missed and there is a ton but it's still always it played in the world really well. Like the questions and comments felt like they were actual questions and comments. And it almost makes me wonder if there was a certain point in the edit where they had friends watch it and like comment along oh, as if they were actually watching and not smart. just try to be silly. I, I don't know that for sure, but it definitely felt like moments of that where it didn't it didn't necessarily feel like what the writers would have written and more like what actual people were saying. Yeah, no, that's great. That's a great idea. I bet they did do something like that. Uh, but what do you got for your next piece? Well, I'm going to go the total opposite direction, but in the same idea of you went with like someone who made a movie on their own and did something solo. And there were moments of this where I couldn't help but think of totally different movie way outside of the box but 127 hours okay where i started thinking about that person alone you know like even like i, I brought up the peeing scene there's like the pee scene in 127 hours sure. and like there were these moments where i was like man there's these element these little tiny beats of 
how you make a movie with one person being stuck in a place by themselves. Yeah. And and, and I thought of some other ones as well and, you know, kind of went like, well, it wasn't really that. It wasn't really buried. It wasn't really like this. But when you're trying to make a movie that's basically one person for a big chunk of the movie, yeah. and even when someone else gets involved, they're kind of alone even through that experience. You, I, I started to think about stuff like 127 Hours. So it's, it's obviously a very, very different movie. But it's a fun concept to think about, especially as a filmmaker, thinking about like, what is a movie that is just one person through most of the movie. Yeah. No, that that's a great one. Um, I, I, I like that. And yeah, that is, it's such a tough genre to pull off that like one person movie and especially like stuck in one location for the most part. I mean, it is a house with different rooms, but there are, it's still just the house. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's such a hard thing to pull off. Kind of in that vein, my next puzzle piece um, I haven't gotten a chance to do a fan film as a puzzle piece in a long time, but uh, Never Hike Alone, the Friday the 13th yeah. fan film. That, that's a guy with a video camera going on a solo hike, and he's documenting his trip with GoPros, and then sure enough, Jason from Friday the 13th is there and kills him. But uh, yeah, I mean, kind of a similar setup as this guy just going out into the middle of nowhere and ended up stumbling upon this place that's not, you know, on Friday the 13th, not haunted, but this, you know, masked killer is there. Yeah, it's fun because I, I never would have thought of those two. But now that you say that, they're like the same concept done in almost exactly opposite ways. Sure. Like their vibes are completely different. Their style and tone is way different yeah but it's the same concept like yep. when you really break it down and it shows that i've always had this theory that if you gave two directors the exact same script uh, robert rodriguez talked about this on a, on one of his episodes of the director's chair he said he saw the script for collateral michael mann's movie collateral mm -hmm. the script was sent to him first and then, and he read it and was like, I don't know. I don't know how this movie is going to work or that whatever. That would be a then, wildly different movie, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then Michael Mann got it and it became a very Michael Mann movie. Now, the, the script was probably pretty similar. And the essence of like, you know, Taxi Driver, a uh, serial killing hitman shows up and it kind of turns into a slasher at the end. Those concepts kind of would have stayed the same. Mm -hmm. but, but Rodriguez's version would have been so different than yeah. Michael Mann's version. And... I what 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 you're saying and this kind of brings that up the same concept the same basic premise of you know GoPros person in their own location evil shows up but they're so different yeah absolutely super serious to super comedy like it that just shows how far an idea can be uh, stretched in different directions so uh, yeah what do you have for your next piece. Well, I'll go with the, the most obvious one, and uh, it's Blair Witch. Like, sure. uh, there's the found footage genre, like we talked about, is owes itself almost entirely to Blair Witch. Now, I, I know there were movies before that, but Blair Witch was the first one that really hit the mass market, and people just could not stop talking about. And it's fun to see how a movie like this takes that concept, and now... Geez, 30 years later, 25 years later, I I don't even know how long ago Blair Witch came out, but how different it's become and how much people have progressed and how much easier it is. Like Blair Witch was filmed on film and, yeah. you know, like it cost them money. Like they put money into that movie. And now you can make a movie with almost nothing 
and have so much more in it. I don't know what the budget was um, for this movie, but it pl- it used its budget perfectly well. Whatever yeah. budget it had, I stopped paying attention to the budget like 15 minutes into the movie. Sure. And that's the, the sign of proper use of whatever budget you have. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, Blair Witch Project, like, it just set the like the visual language for like all these movies and this one follows it like kind of to a T until you start getting into all the screen life type stuff and like I wasn't going to use it as a puzzle piece but like the searching and unfriended all these movies that take place on a screen I mean we see so much of the actual YouTube uh live stream that's happening and so you get to see all that you know too but all of that was inspired by the Blair Witch Project too, so it's like it, it's got its hands on all of these kinds of movies. Yeah, and I think um, with that being said, I think there was an element taken from Blair Witch that a lot of these movies miss. A lot of the found footage movies are so afraid to. I really love Blair Witch. I saw it when I was like ten years old. My mm. mom dropped me off at the college theater. I was way too young to be going to see this movie, but I went and saw it because it was like the Minneapolis newspaper like had a huge spread on it and like see the movie that everyone is talking about at the U of M, you know, Mm -hmm. and they made a huge deal out of it. So I, you know, being the little horror film boy, my mom actually dropped me off. Maybe I was like 12. I don't remember exactly (laughs) how old I was, but, um, I, in that movie, I've seen it quite a few times since. And the movie still works for me. And the reason I constantly like go back to it, before I film a movie or if I'm thinking about like what are my characters going to be like is Blair Witch does something that people don't talk about. They talk about all the witch stuff. They talk about, you know, the guy in the corner and all of that stuff. But it does a really good job making its characters both lovable and obnoxious. And that's really hard. And a lot of found footage movies are terrified to do it. They want to make sure that you like their characters because if you don't like them, I mean, a lot of movies these days have a struggle with this where People want to be comfortable watching movies, right, and right. when you make someone annoying and obnoxious, it's kind of hard. Going back to Greywood's plot, like my, one of the things with Greywood's plot, I wanted to do was not just make lovable characters. I wanted them to kind of be douchebags, and I wanted people to go like, "Okay, when when things happen, it's okay," and we saw it coming because of the way they were portrayed. Yeah, um, I was literally just thinking that, by the way, <laughs> like that. Yeah, it, it totally works in your film as well so yeah definitely like having a character that isn't just a hero quote-unquote and a villain quote-unquote like the you know full characters yeah or like uh, there was because obviously clerks was a big inspiration for Greywood's plot the mm-hmm. first half of that movie was very clerks based but you know dante and randall as lovable and obnoxious as they are they're way quippier than i think people it's written you can tell that it's like very written and with graywood's plot one of the things i wanted to do was make it a little bit more like they're not written like they are just kind of annoying Mm -hmm. and they're they're just the kind of guys you grew up with in high school who were doing those videos and you're like i don't like them and what would they be like you know 10 years after high school sure um so I think they did that really well with this, where as the movie started, I'm like, oh, God, this is like a YouTuber that my kids would watch. I hate this guy. And then like five minutes in, I'm like, okay, Uh he composed his own music. At least he takes this seriously. I read some reviews of the movie where people were like, I got pulled out because there is no way that he'd be able to stream through these iPads and click on buttons as he's going and stuff like that. And I was just like, number one. 
Yes, there is. You know there's an app out there that can do that. And I just because you don't know how to do that, this guy is like 10 steps ahead of you. Yeah. So don't act like that's impossible. But also, who cares? Right. It's a movie. <laughs> like, you are way overthinking this if that's what you're taking from it. Um, he couldn't really strap a GoPro to a beef jerky. That couldn't possibly Yeah, exactly. It like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so silly, the like way people try to pick apart these things. But for me, like as it got to that stuff, I was like, oh, I wonder what app he's using. And I got like pulled into yeah. the, that sort of thing. And then once, you know, he started talking to his audience and he had his, what is it? The wheel of whatever, his, his <laughs> wheel. I was just like, oh, I'm so, this guy is lovably awful yeah. and I'm okay with it. <laughs> well, you were just talking about Clerks. Clerks is my next puzzle piece. Um, nice. You know, it's just this this very hyper-specific generation of mostly white guys, really. But like, you know, in Clerks it is, here it is. But uh, it, it, these guys who just, uh, uh, they live through their movie references and uh, yes. <laughs> this guy is constantly referencing various horror movies that he feels like he's in by going through this house. Um, constantly talking about themselves they're like only interested in their own like little small worldview and uh it's just it's just such a specific kind of guy and i mean i'm kind of that guy you know i have a movie yeah. podcast so you know, no doubt course. like I, there's a lot of in graywood's plot there's a lot of uh, very very obvious references to my own life the movie is very inspired by me now it's a weird, different version of me if I didn't meet my wife, I didn't have kids, I didn't have a career, I didn't actually do stuff outside of filmmaking. Giving it's into your worst the... impulses. Exactly, like, yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, but I think that a lot of people can relate to that. And it, yes, it's, the, it's very much the white guy syndrome, but I think there's a lot of it in a lot of, you know, everyone kind of feels that, not just in making movies, not just in whatever, but you have these, like, dreams and projects, and as they don't happen you get more and more like i love the fact that this is the best thing that's ever happened in his life yeah. <laughs> and you're just like oh my god I, you you almost hope it, there's some like little bit of hope that it was fake the whole time and this guy pulled off the most massive stunt ever oh yeah to like and, and we see the sequel is him being like i got everyone and i got canceled again but i also became the most famous dude in the world and like <laughs> You you almost like are rooting for him in that way. Um, the same way with clerks, they're awful and miserable dudes. And the, the, the I mean the better version of that movie is Dante getting shot at the end because they that which is like the deleted version right, right. because of the fact that like they're just miserable human beings. Yeah, and I uh, and I, I but they're also lovable. Like mm -hmm. I think there's a happy medium to that where you enjoy watching them because and, and it's almost like watching a, a train wreck a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And he's just he's such a uh, a fun guy to kind of root for to to lose, really. I mean, he's just because he's just so damn dumb. But at the same time, he's lovable. So it's like it's so uh, it, it's such an interesting character. But uh, what, what do you have for your next piece? Uh, I'm going to go, speaking of interesting and lovable characters, I couldn't help but think that the the filmmakers behind this were fans of Ernest Scared Stupid. Oh, uh, I'm, I, there was very much like, these. this guy grew up watching Ernest and was like, I'm going to be obnoxiously over the top in my performance and 
there was an earnest vibe to it. So I, I'm going with earnest, scared, stupid, but just in general, earnest. Like I, there was a there was a Jim Varneyness to. I yes. love that. I love that. <laughs> you, you know, I, I write down in my notes sometimes a few quotes as I'm watching the movie. And uh, the first thing I wrote down kind of feels like an earnest thing uh, when he says, how can haunted houses be overdone? I've never done one before. Like, yes, exactly. <laughs> it's yes. just so self-centered and just so <laughs> ridiculous, you know? Um, yes. Yeah. Earnest that- rules. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like I know, and it sucks because Ernest Scared Stupid is easily my favorite one of the movies, and mm-hmm. it's not like accessible anywhere. Every other Ernest movie is on all of the, there's like on the streaming platforms, and I've recently gone back and like watched them while uh you know under the influence of some beers on a Friday night, sure. and I throw I've thrown them on in the background because I'm like I wonder if my kids would watch this with me. And I watch it going like, I don't think my, I think my kids would be like, why is this grown man doing these things? But at the same time, I watched him, I was like, oh man, this is, there's like a weird innocence to this straight to VHS odd type of film that doesn't get made for kids anymore. And, or even a type of acting that isn't very often done, which I liked about this movie. I watched this movie going like, man, I could probably show Deadstream at like Halloween at a party with with my family and friends who don't really like horror movies and they might enjoy it. And then as I'm watching and I'm also like, they may find this to be the stupidest movie they've ever seen because of this performance. Mm -hmm. I don't know which way it's going to go. And to me, that's exactly what I love about it is it's he's so big and he's so like almost teetering on a Jim Carrey, Jim Varney big performance. But he also grounds it in in horror so well that he has moments that feel like the funny, cool Bruce Campbell. You yeah. know, like Bruce Campbell is kind of cool at times, even though he's also kind of stupid at times. He yeah. finds that happy medium. Absolutely. I, I would combine Ernest, uh, Jim Varney, uh, Bruce Campbell, and then uh, some other things that I was thinking about with the character specifically. I was thinking of some of the dumb people talking directly to the camera in shows like The Office and Parks and Rec, specifically yeah. Chris Pratt. And Parks mm-hmm. and Rec. I mean, the way that when uh, when our main character here in Deadstream like figures out clues and stuff like that, and he's like, <gasps> and he's like just so excited about these things, and just so excited to like spout out to the camera that he figured something out, and 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 he knows what's gonna happen now. Like all those things are like so um, childlike, I guess, in a way, and it kind of just adds to that character of YouTuber because I, I imagine, I don't really watch any of those YouTube streams, but I imagine they have to have like a sense of excitement at all times from beginning times. to end. I mean, from, you, you see that you see the thumbnail images on YouTube where they're like faces like, you know, shocked in the video. Like you have to imagine they have to constantly be like that. Dude, it is awful. Like <laughs> I can't believe he made it lovable in this. Right. And I think it, I think it boils down to the fact that like the movie is only whatever 80 minutes or whatever it is. Sure. And I, but like my kids will watch a movie that's like or a, a YouTube video that's 80 minutes long and they'll watch four of them in a day. Like mm-hmm. not they don't do I don't let them do that. They would if <laughs> they, they would. could. Yeah. But they they'll watch like these extremely long videos that the whole time from beginning to end, it doesn't matter what they're doing. If these guys are like, 
you know, playing paintball, that's something actually exciting, or playing Minecraft. The entire time, they'll be like, ah, oh my god, ah, wow, look at that, oh my gosh, we gotta walk over here, go over there, oh my god, guys, guys, I can't believe, guys, this is crazy. They say guys so much. Oh god. The amount that the YouTubers say guys, it's become the new like of this generation. Yeah. And, or bro, they say bro a lot. And I thought bro died in the 90s, but apparently not. It's back. And yeah, it's back. And so it's just constant. It's like, bro, 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 you are not going to jump in that pool, bro. Like, do not do it. Do not do it. It is full of jello, bro. Oh my God, bro, you did it, bro. Like, oh, it's awful. <laughs> and that's like this guy. That's the kind of stuff this guy was doing. And at the beginning, I, I enjoyed the first, I mean, my, I showed the first 10 minutes to my kids and they watched it. And there's that scene where he's like, on a dog sled in his underwear or something and he's it's like just a ridiculous shot and my kids were like did he actually like can i watch that video on youtube i'm like oh my god guys it's a joke making fun of that stuff like it's oh but it is it's true that's what they do that's the that they hit the nail on the head they love it they love it well, what do you got for your next piece um let's see what do i so i this is a little bit of a spoiler but it oh no actually it's kind of a Yes. It's a haunted house movie. There are ghosts. Like Spoiler. you, you got to You know that there are going to be ghosts. But uh, at the end of the movie, in the last minutes of the movie, we get visuals of different, different ghosts, different mm -hmm. things. And so I, I instantly, as I watched this, was like, I went into the same mindset that I went into when I saw. I'm going to throw two at the same time because they. And there's a lot of these kind of movies, but I'm going with Thirteen Ghosts and Insidious. Like okay. at the very end, I got this vibe of like, oh, there's a world of ghosts like they're setting up this idea that there is this creature and this creature and this creature and i thought he did it really well because it didn't feel one it didn't feel pandery but it also didn't feel like he was just doing it for sequelitis like sure. i didn't feel like he was showing those going like you guys want to see the double-headed baby like it <laughs> but it was very like oh this is messed up here's some cool visuals we're getting at the end and i think that's a that there's a thin line between being a bit annoying and, and like you know, trying to set up more monsters mm -hmm. and and giving us cool visuals that are just like, oh, I like that. Now I'm actually in and I do want to see more of that creature. Right, right. Um, and it's something I tried to do a little bit in Greywood's plot where I wanted to show people like Greywood's has, there's like the kind of dreamy sequence where dude is running through the woods and he sees like all of these tree monsters and then there's like this bat thing and we kind of see Doug has some stuff on his walls of like potential other monsters and stuff at mm. one point. And we know like based on what he says that he's been doing other experiments through time. Um, and for, for me, that was something that I just, I didn't want to like, I, I wanted cool visuals of different types of creatures, universal monster style thing. Not that I wanted people to go like, Oh, I want to see more of that. And I want to know what that is. Right. But more that I wanted to set up like, this is a monster world. Like this right, is not more normal. to it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's smart, it, it, and that is uh, that's a fun way to to add to the world. And uh, I hate to use the word world building, but you know, <laughs> like yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's there's more to it. There's more than what you see in the movie, and you can let your mind run wild with that. And it's fun because, like you know, as a filmmaker, you film stuff. You don't know what the audience is going to dig. You don't know what they're not going to dig. What's going to work and what's not going to work. And Originally, like all of that stuff was explained far further in in Doug Graywood's in in Graywood's plot in Doug Graywood's universe uh, monologue. We explain like why that stuff exists and mm -hmm. what the tree monsters are. They had a reason. Like 
And then we just cut it because we watched the the edit and we were like, we don't need to explain this to the horror audience. They don't care. They're okay with it just being fun to look at and whatever. Yeah. And I thought he did a good job with that here where we're, it, none of that's really explained. Like, we understand why the one ghost is there. It's all from the diary. Everything's kind of explained and the whole thing kind of works. And then at the end when we see all this, I don't know if I'm ever really like, oh, I understand what all of these things are. I don't care. Right. I just like seeing them, and it was fun. It's a haunted house. And that, and it's that, a haunted house. It works that way. I, by the way, I love that uh, 13 Ghosts came up as a puzzle piece two weeks in a row. It was on our Hellraiser episode. Did it? So, <laughs> yeah. Nice. I, 13 Ghosts is a weird one. I recently rewatched it, recently being like two years ago. But I rewatched it because um, I had seen it when I was like a kid. I don't... I've actually never seen it. Okay, I... It's a, and there's, it's a remake. There's like an original version and then there's the remade version. And I've seen the original version like many, 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 many years ago. And then I watched the remake a while ago. And then two years ago, I watched it again. And it's a flawed movie. <laughs> Rewatching it, I'm like, there are some things in this movie that do not really work. Mm. But at the end are very based in the whenever it came out early 2000s. Like they're at the music cues alone. I'm just like, oh, man. Whew. Um, but <laughs> just like the intro to, I really love, um, Event Horizon. It's one of my favorite horror movies. Oh, yeah. I think that movie is just a blast. But the, I, every time I watch it, I'm always shocked at the first, like the intro credits of that movie that are just straight up like late nineties, like techno rock Hell yeah. fun music. I'm like, <laughs> how is this the intro song to this movie? We yeah. all like, this is so strange. Um, but but 13 Ghosts has some really cool visuals and goes pretty far with how nasty some of its stuff is. And this, when uh, there was a couple of the monsters that you only see for like a beat and I'm like, oh, that's nasty. That's cool. Yeah. And I think that's the key to it. And Insidious obviously did it as well with like all of the, you know, setting up this universe of ghosts and then just building on it. And it's something that I've always really wanted to do as well. Um, with Like the good exorcist universe is the one that I would all I, like would kill to be able to show yeah. the demons and what the demons are. That's why I started the Good Exorcist or the Father Gill comics is because I want to be able to, even if I can't afford to make them myself, I can draw the pictures. So sure. I'm going to show as many weird demons, the demon that pees bees and the, <laughs> you know, whatever else. I've got one, I just wrote an issue that I'm working on right now that's all about Father Gill being tortured by like a demon that looks like a goat-faced, weird, long monster with like hanging udders who's like attached to this like teenage girl through an umbilical cord that's coming out of her mouth like that's the kind of the visuals that i want to do are these messed up visuals and um seeing seeing these these movies that do get away with it it's always pretty cool that's awesome that is great <laughs> uh my final puzzle piece and this one is too new to truly be an influence but i think it makes a really great companion piece with deadstream uh as a 2022 movie uh is another movie that i loved this year called not okay Starring Zoe oh. Deutsch uh, as an influencer who um, lies about being in a terror attack, and then her YouTube, you know, social media influence goes through the roof, and uh, another takedown of influencer culture. And she's so unlikable that they actually—and it's part of the joke, of course—but some people got their feathers ruffled on like the Twitters of the world and stuff like that. They actually put a warning at the beginning of the movie, warning this movie features an extremely unlikable female protagonist, um, which is hilarious, and people should have understood that that's a joke. This movie— They don't, man. They, they don't. They really oh, my don't. God. <laughs> In Greywood's plot, there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where my mom and I are sitting around talking about how— 
Asian food is dog, like dog meat. And people get mad at me and I literally call it like that's racist to say. And they're not supposed to be lovable. These people are she's talking about like how she shouldn't have had her son. Like yeah. these are not good people. And people attacked me. Like not not a lot, but a few people were like there is a racist joke at the beginning of the movie that is not funny. I do not like that they said it. It is, and I'm like, that okay, so we did it right then. That's exactly what I was going Bad for with that awful exist. joke. <laughs> and it's not meant to be funny. That is a cliche, like a yeah. terrible, terrible joke. The joke becomes that my mom is telling me to get go do drugs, get out, and like just awful to me. Like that's what I wanted to be funny. Yeah. Um, and so. I, I can definitely see that. Like Daniel and I actually did a version where we cut that the joke about eating dog from it, and I was like, before anyone complained, Daniel brought it up, and we cut it, and we're talking about, it, and I'm like, no, nah, man, I got to keep it in. Like it goes against my my instinct of why that joke was in there in the first place, and we don't think that joke is funny. We don't laugh about that. It's it works because of this. So I haven't seen this movie. I know of it, and I have been meaning to watch it, but I haven't watched it yet, and. uh the same thing, I, the movie Dash Cam does sure. a similar thing where people, I mean, I hated the protagonist of Dash Cam, but yeah. I loved the movie based, or I really, really enjoyed the movie because you're not, I don't think you're supposed to like her. It's right. very, it's very on the nose. Like, she's not a good person. No, no, not at all. And actually, I, I had forgotten about Dash Cam. Like, I think that all three of these movies, they kind of, they fit that same mold of like, we're in a moment right now where influencer culture is so big and people just, talking into their screens like you know and people following along and so of course that's going to influence movies and the culture at the moment and uh they they're all great examples of these unlikable protagonists that if you could get on board with like watching them because everything around them is like worth watching then you're gonna be watching a great movie basically totally and I, that i'll just go into my last i had one more and i'll just go into it because it's sort of based in the same world as well and you were talking about how you didn't know if this movie was you know influenced by or came straight out of quarantine and like mm -hmm. if this was made because they didn't have a bunch of people they could work with or whatever i have no idea but it definitely was influenced in some way and that goes back to host which is yeah. you know a zoom conversation come you know we're seeing this horror play out over uh, a zoom conversation and that movie influenced a lot of people making movies now and was the kind of the first one that came out hit a big audience and did this stuff with uh what was happening at the time with quarantine and people not being able to be around each other and talking over zoom and it gave us sort of a relationship to our computers in a way that we haven't had before and a relationship to um having conversations with people via the internet in a way that was bigger than ever like i mean there's people have formed bond bonds out of quarantine and based on talking over zoom that mm. they hadn't before um and host did that really well and came out at the perfect time and also had literally the best jump scares of any movie i've ever seen yeah i don't know it, i think it was just based on the fact that it was relatable in a zoom convert or in the zoom call and also wasn't just purely sound design jump scares even though they you know it had the sound design from uh the zoom calls like you could there's something that felt really relatable about that to me where you know i've been on conversations with 
coworkers on Zoom and their phone falls that they were talking on. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, God. <laughs> and so using that sort of thing worked really well. So that's sort of my final one is I think host was definitely, if not, if I don't know if they had this idea before host came out. I don't know if it came from it in some way. But host influenced a lot of us to be able to go like, yeah, I'll go along on these rides of so of like this modern social platform of computers as the means of found footage. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you said it earlier about like the technology is kind of like catching up to where you can make these things easier, like how hard it was to shoot something like Blair Witch Project. And like, we're going to see more and more of these things. And hopefully more of them are like host and more of them are like Deadstream, where they like use them, use these technologies in interesting ways because it's, uh, it's really awesome when, when it does get done well because it becomes this unique film that really nothing else is quite like. And I think in the end, the truth is both of those movies, Host and, and Deadstream, work because if they weren't found footage movies, if they were done in a different way, um, if they were done in a big budget way, I think they'd be just as enjoyable. I think that it adds to them and elevates them to be what they are. But... The characters are enjoyable, the story is there, the plot is right, and they still um, subvert our expectations. Yeah. Host especially. I remember going into Host and my buddy Daniel was like, dude, you gotta watch this movie. You're gonna love it. And I was like, I don't, man, the Zoom call movie? I don't know. <laughs> this is, you know me. I don't like, I don't like movies. He's like, no, shut up. You do. You like this. This is what you like. So I put it on on a Sunday afternoon. The windows were open. It was light in the living room. Like, it was not like I was watching this movie. I texted him halfway through the movie and I'm like, dude, I need to chat with you every now and again. If I don't message you in 10 minutes, I had a heart attack. <laughs> like, I was on the edge of my seat through host. Yeah. And, um, and part of that was because I thought the characters were kind of lovable and enjoyable to watch, but then also like I kept being surprised by where it went and the, the way it built up the tension. And uh, so I guess I won't spoil it, but there's a scene where so, there's a fire that happens in host. And I was just like, how are they doing this? Like, I don't know how this moment is happening yeah. on this zoom call. And that's the sign of like, it doesn't matter what their budget was, they thought outside of the box and found a way to do something that just surprised the hell out of me. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Absolutely awesome. Uh, I I think that does it for Deadstream. Let's talk some more about Greywood's plot. Um, sure. Your movie just came out. You you filmed it a couple of years ago, right? Like before the pandemic? Oh, yeah. So we filmed all over the place. We filmed... Uh, Many, many years ago, we went out into the woods. I like for my 30th birthday, Daniel, Keith, Strauss, and I were just like, let's go make a movie, like yeah. a mumblecore thing. Like, screw this. Let's just go out there and try this. And got, we just went out and filmed and failed. I mean, it just, it, we didn't know what we were doing. We're not improv guys. It was mm -hmm. fine, but it wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot to take away from it. And so, uh we kind of scrapped it but at the same time we we're like well maybe we'll make something out of it still we'll find a way to make it work as a short or do something like for youtube with it or whatever and then i got the call about rebel without a crew and went and made my first feature the good exorcist mm -hmm. so then i took a year off from working on graywood's plot and made the good exorcist and then after we got back let's see that was in 2017 and then in 2018 yeah, it was like the fall of 2018, I think. Daniel 
and I went through the footage and started looking at Greywood's plot again. And it was actually the last day of filming The Good Exorcist. I turned to Daniel. We had just wrapped, you know, the martini shot, the final final shot of the movie. We all cheers. We all laughed and cried and said our goodbyes. And as mm-hmm. we were walking away, I was just like, hey, Dan, you know, you know what we should do next? And he's like, yeah, I know Greywood's plot. <laughs> and so we finished The Good Exorcist, went out into the woods in 2018 and filmed for basically a year, like just filming, you know, on weekends, whenever we could. Um sort of i wrote the script so we had a better script but then we were we were adding scenes to the movie until two weeks before we went to our first film festival like Mm. we literally were like i had to send out the final blu-ray or how i I don't know if we did a dcp or a blu-ray or whatever for that film festival but we were going to our first film festival and i was cutting the scenes trying to get them ready for the blu-ray and sent it out and they're like Hey, we have it down that this movie is seventy nine minutes and it's at eighty four right now. What's what? What happened? Like, oh, I added some stuff, <laughs> and so um, we got it done. And then the pandemic happened. Yeah. Um, so that was the first film festivals were in twenty nineteen, and we were like talking about like, okay, let's find distribution, let's get it out there. And then twenty twenty hit, and you know, you know what happened. Sure. sure. And um, and so. Then we were sort of like, well, screw it. We're not in a rush to get it out there. Let's just sit on it for a hot second and see what happens. And we got into like Fright Fest. We got into some huge film festivals then waiting on it. And then after all that, Terror Films picked it up and we released and we got the movie. Uh, it came out a couple weeks ago on you know Amazon, iTunes, all of the normal streaming platforms. And... We did some screenings with them and, you know, it's, it's like kind of slowly rolling out and hitting its audience properly. And, yeah. uh, yeah, it's been a fun, it's been a fun many year adventure. Yeah. So I, my first like question about it is it with a many year adventure like that and going back and filming all this new stuff, like at what point does the overall story start to come about that there's this videotape, there's some kind of creature, they're going to go out and try to document it like and then something happens while they're out in the woods doing that like where does that all kind of congeal yeah so i think so it actually it started with i always wanted to make a movie where dan played like a dr frankenstein character or a (laughs) dr moreau character and i play the creature that he creates i don't know why but that always just sounded like a fun like (laughs) You know, Daniel and I have been friends since we were in kindergarten. So we went to kindergarten together. We met, started making movies together as little kids and, uh, you know, had some diverting moments where we thought we were going to go be pastors and there was all sorts of different things along the way. And we ended up on Greywood's plot in our early 30s and late 20s. But I always had this concept that I wanted to do this movie. And then we went, you know, Daniel and I both got married to other people we had kids and did all this other stuff and we were i just hit a certain point where i'm like dude we never made a movie yeah like how did we get this far in life and we didn't do the one obvious thing and so uh, like a few years before Greywoods, we started shooting shorts and really trying to learn what we were doing through short films and then but through that whole time i was sort of coming up with this, this concept and I actually wrote a movie where a bunch of guys go into the woods trying to film a chupacabra. And it turns out that in the, in the script, mosquitoes are spreading like a zombie virus. And this was like pre walking dead, pre zombies. But the concept was like, they get out in the woods. It's, it's four friends. It it was going to be me, Keith, Daniel, 
And then a guy I knew who's an actual, like, literal giant. He has, like, gigantism. So he's, like, this monster of a man. Mm. And I was going to have him play the one who gets bitten by the mosquito and becomes a zombie. And it's, Mm. like, three idiots and their giant, like, he's, like, the Terminator of a man who's now a zombie. And they have to try to stop him from killing them in the woods while they're trying to film the chupacabra. And obviously the chupacabra had been bitten by this mosquito and it was just a zombie dog, basically. So that also plays into it. So. Anyway, that whole concept sort of like flipped and it became, okay, well, what if we just break this down and simplify it and we take that other concept and it's you and, you know, two guys go in the woods after getting this tape and they're trying to make a Chupacabra documentary. Yeah. And then, you know, the owner of the land is who he is and turns turns one of them into a Spider-Man. Originally, it was going to be a Spider-Man movie. Okay. Uh, which is why there's there's a shot at the beginning of the movie where I a super eight footage of a spider, and at, at that point I'm like, spider? What the hell does a spider have to do with anything? And it's in my little suicide video. He's like, what does a spider have to do with anything? And that's like an inside joke to myself nice. because like, what did a spider have to do with anything? Yeah. <laughs> I just thought I'd, I just thought it'd be fun to have be like six legged and just like or eight you know six armed and legs and just be like we're gonna be so famous. It's like alternate um, universe Easter eggs. Yeah, exactly. It really is. Uh, and so that's sort of where it came from. And I wrote, instead of writing a script, I wrote out note cards. And I did like 40 note cards and had an outline for this idea. And then we went out in the woods and filmed um, for the first time. And then when I got back, I was just like, well, I'll take what we filmed and I'll write a script. And what I learned on The Good Exorcist. And I'll build off that and write this script. So then I wrote the actual script that it became. Okay. So... I feel like, you know, aside from it being a horror movie, aside from there being the, you know, the monster stuff, like, uh, as a film about people making a film, I've noticed lately that a lot of films like that tend to focus on the friendship between the people making the film. And I feel like that's a big theme here, too, obviously, with this being your real friend in, in real life. And, you know, uh, wh- why do you think that is, that movies about making movies always tend to focus on the friendship between the people making those movies? Well, there's a there's a one point that is, like, a major thing that I've learned through what I've done. But the other thing is I specifically wanted this to be the opposite of what most friendship movies are. Most friendship movies are about like these two guys who don't like each other and they sort of bicker, but they find friendship throughout the movie. And then at the end, they realize where their relationship or why their relationship is together. You know, Tommy boy, for instance, or whatever, like most movies take that route. Very few movies are about a divorcing friendship. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make something because we don't think of friendship as something you divorce. You're either friends or then you kind of like just break away. But I, my relationship with most of my friends is like very tight, like tighter than my relationship with anyone else. So I've known Keith since I was 13 days old, like literally met him in the hospital when he was born 13 days after I was born. We've known each other's our entire lives. And, uh, and there is no divorce in Keith and I's relationship. Like I, we talk to each other, you know, once a week or once every couple of weeks, we call each other and we just can BS and it's like the conversation never ended. Yeah. Um, and Daniel's the same way we met in kindergarten. So I have these very, very tight relationships with people. Um, so I wanted this movie to be a little bit different than that. I wanted it to be about the divorcing relationship and I wanted it to be, so it actually takes the opposite arc of most movies. Most movies start out as enemies or slight friends. 
Then they bicker through the whole movie until they realize they've formed a bond. I yeah. want to do the opposite where there there was obviously a tight friendship before, and now we're seeing it falling apart. And then, oh, are they actually good friends? Like, this is building up, and then the end happens, yeah. and we all, yeah. So um, that was a big part of this. But I think movies about filmmaking are big time about friendship because fr making a movie, I, not to downplay anything or, or downplay like the horrors of something like this, but there is an element of going to war. And obviously it's not like going to war, mm. but there is something about going into filmmaking where you only have a certain amount of time and the life of the film is on the line. Yeah. And if you don't finish this thing, it's... It's not going to happen. And no, no one's life is going to end over it or whatever. And it's not that horrific. But to an artist, it's a big deal. Like yeah. as you're going in to make it, it is, it's, it's a lot. And it is, the hours are the worst of anything I've ever done in my life. Like we've shot some nights into days into like going on Rebel Without a Crew was, which is the, the series, the reality series I made The Good Exorcist on. Yeah. And you know, we were, I was on camera 24 hours a day. I was always under the gun in some way. I had things going wrong and people were, you know, videotaping it. Everyone was going to see it. So it was, it, 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 there was a lot of drama to it. And I think a lot of the times our first movies we make and the people who are there to help us make them are our friends. They're the ones who are there when you, you need, when, even on bigger budget movies, you know, bigger meaning, not like, yes even bigger budget movies scorsese put his mom and dad in a movie like sure. there's you know yeah. like that this stuff happens and i feel like even on the biggest of movies there are moments where you're like i need a background actor who can do this i'm gonna call my brother you know like that sort of thing or i'm gonna call my best friend and so um yeah for, for I, I feel like that's a lot of the time where it comes from is because we are making these movies with our friends and they're all it's something that we all relate to and is very personal to us and you know like our those sort of whether it's even just about making movies or just about these important moments in our lives as an artist making movies is very important to us yeah but even if it's just you know whatever our friends are the ones that you know we we have around for these moments yeah absolutely so you know creature stuff i know is super important to you and i'm just wondering a little bit about the process of uh coming up with designs like how how you get there oh man so this is a this is a late in life realization that's been coming up in a lot of interviews and that is i am a visual person who doesn't have uh of uh, i don't have a visual brain mm -hmm. like i can't i can't see things in my head when i talk about them i can see the words i can figure out what they are but until i put them out into the world draw the picture of it yeah. It doesn't exist. I there are a lot of artists, and because it, it drove me nuts. Because I watch artists who can draw these pictures that are like you know pencil art that looks exactly like the thing that you're looking at, and right. I can't do that. It, my brain doesn't work. There's not like I see this and it comes in and it comes out. Instead, it's like my hand and my brain can kind of connect, and all of a sudden there's like an eyeball hanging out of a face <laughs> and <laughs> tentacles coming out of a girl's mouth into a you know demon or whatever. And so, um, for me, like I have to, I need to get these concepts out of my head. And the only way I can do it is visually like my wife will say, Hey, what would you think of this rug in the living room? What do you think that would look like? And I'm like, no, clue. I, I don't know what it would look like. Let's put the rug in the living room. And I can tell you, like, yeah. I have no idea, which is interesting because I dream 
extremely vividly. Mm-hmm. Like I can see everything in my, I dream like a movie in the third person with camera angles and yeah, sound yeah. effects. And so I don't know what in my brain causes these things to happen this way. But um, so a lot of the creatures, they come from like me putting a pen to paper and being like, I need this visual to happen. Um, yeah. So like the dog man was very much based on, I mean, that was Strauss and I working together on, on the actual cowl for that. But it was, you know, me drawing pictures and showing him my dog and being like, what does that look like in flesh form? And where, you know, what does this become? So that's why like my dog is in the beginning of Greywood's plot, because I want people to kind of like connect these two weird <laughs> elements together. Yeah. Um, even if it's only like just barely in their head that they're like, that kind of looks familiar, the pointy ears and the weird little snout and stuff. Um, uh, or, or the good exorcist, you know, a lot of times it's, it's just me challenging myself to go, okay, I have a teddy bear. What does that look like evil? How do we make that evil? And, yeah. um, so there's like a fun element of being like, okay, what do the teeth look like? What do the eyeballs look like? How do I add a tentacle to it? What do I do here? Um, nothing impresses me more. We talked about, uh, about malignant and nothing impresses me more than when someone surprises me visually mm-hmm. like i've seen so much i've watched so many and i'm the kind of person who watches every messed up movie like yeah i'm desensitized to the point where i can watch anything i'm just like oh that was horrible stuff that happened but it was a movie you right. know like right. uh, the serbian film is a joke to me. right like i right. i can make that joke about when people are like what movies are, are you gonna watch with your kids this weekend i'm like ah oh, we're gonna watch um Moana and the Serbian film. Yeah, like, sure. They're like, what? Yeah, so <laughs> double feature. Uh, I don't, yeah, too. They go together. Yeah. Um, but when something does surprise me, like Malignant did, where you know that movie builds to what you finally get to see, and I'm just like, what is this? Yeah. And it it impresses my visual mind. I that's what I love that, and that's where a lot of Greywood's plot stuff came from. Where I'm like, okay, how can I? surprise people in some way visually whether that's you know the 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 mutilation that happens or forcing one thing i've realized is a lot of people do visually see things in their head in a way that i don't and so letting their imagination run with it can affect them more than showing it to them so like a lot of the facial mutilation stuff i kept it out of focus in the scene and there's people who will be like oh there's that one shot and i'm like that shot doesn't exist yeah you don't you see saw that. something that never <laughs> happened <laughs> that's funny <laughs> that's great uh well i wrote down a few puzzle pieces here uh for your film so i'm gonna run them by you it. and we'll uh we'll see what you say you already uh brought up clerks as an influence so we, we got that totally. one out of the way obviously blair witch project i uh have on my list as well but moving on from there uh, the Ring, uh, which we could have talked about while talking about Deadstream as well, but getting this videotape that is, you know, got some kind of weird supernatural thing happening on it. Oh, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I never once thought about The Ring mm-hmm. while in the process of writing it. I very much thought about, um, it sort of came from the podcast I do, Low Budget Rebels, or the Flush Studios podcast before that, it was all about talking to low-budget independent filmmakers. And people would send me these videos where I would be like, this is the weirdest low-budget movie ever. I love it. Like, (laughs) I want to talk to this person. 
And so there was this element of the surprise of getting that thing and being like, what is this? We I just got given a gift for the next podcast. Perfect. Yeah. This did it. I didn't have to go hunt for someone to be on the show. They brought it to me. Nice. Um, but the ring is definitely an influence in that, like, I always love the concept of getting the gift, getting the tape, the mm. thing, and and the horror that it becomes afterwards. And it's funny that you bring it up, though, because I haven't thought about The Ring in a long time. And my son is really into creepypasta. Can't watch horror movies at all, but loves creepypasta concepts. Yeah, yeah. And so um, someone at school brought up The Ring and whether it was a creepypasta or not. And I was like, I don't think so. I think it's just a movie. Like, I think it was. it's based on a... Uh, Japanese or Korean film? I believe Japanese. Japanese film. And um and I was like, let's watch this. I'll show you the I'll show you what the little girl looks like though. I love doing that to my nine year old. I'm nice. like, look at this messed up thing and let's see how far I can take it before he <laughs> runs out of the room screaming. Yeah, um, that's a scary visual. It is. Yeah. And so I showed him I showed him the ring tape and I'm like, if you watch that, you die seven days later. He's like, what? And I'm like, man, they did their job because he literally knows it's a movie. I just talked to him about it and he still got scared that he was going to die seven days later or whatever oh, yeah. it is. Great. And so, yeah, hugely. I mean, it, it, it the ring was really inspiring in, for a lot of us, too, in that era of scary movies that were PG-13, but 95% of them sucked. But there were like a handful of PG-13 horror that was actually good right you go okay yeah we can work inside you can work inside of the pg-13 box yeah no that's true absolutely uh next one is tusk uh yeah yeah that was a big i mean so the concept came i worked on tusk i did animation for tusk oh awesome and i so the concept for graywood's plot came before i saw tusk and um you know, it was weird because Tusk kept getting compared to the human centipede. Mm -hmm. And I kept being like, but it's way more like Island of Dr. Moreau, Frankenstein, like way more like that stuff, like the thing I wanted to do. And yeah. then I was at, uh, I worked on Tusk and I did some animations for it. One of my animations got cut from the movie. And one of them was the like behind the scenes making of that the podcast was based on. Mm. And I had read the script for it and I really liked it, but I instantly was just like i like the opposite idea i want that movie about friends that is all about the friendship like it's literally just about the friendship yeah. none of the relationship stuff none of the like i wanted i wanted and by the end of tusk spoiler alert i wanted them to be friends i wanted michael parks and justin long to live together forever yeah sure. and i was at a uh i was at a q a with kevin or like a like one of his like stand-up things he does evening with type thing and kevin was like hey if you didn't like something i did or if there was something you would have done different go do it like go make that thing and i was just like that's you just gave me carte blanche go do this man like you just <laughs> gave me the okay and yeah. because part of me had been like well if i um i can't do this idea now kevin did it like kevin made the movie where a guy turns another guy into a creature and then but then I also started thinking about, I'm like, that's like every, that's so many movies. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, well, what, if Kevin can do his take on it, why can't I do my take on it? So I just yeah. like 100% leaned into it and went, okay, this, I'm, I've got my three movies, my three no budget, low budget movies before I get into filmmaking, which I'm working on my third one right now. I'm like, what, 
what are these two? And I did The Good Exorcist, which was sort of my take on... My take on, like, Sam Raimi meets Tim Burton with a little bit of Napoleon Dynamite thrown in, mm-hmm. and I was... And, and also my take on PG-13 horror, which yeah. is comedy, like PG-13 comedy horror. Even though we get this weird... We're in this weird area because we say the F word too many times and we... <laughs> Like have a have a dude walking around in his undies and PG thirteen like, plus. Yeah, so we get yeah. PG thirteen plus. We get we would have got the movie kicked back to us and been like, you can't say we'll rape your soul in hell for a thousand eternities. Like you got to take that line out. out. Yeah. So um, that was my take on that. But then Greywood's plot, I went back and I was just like, well, what's my take on what Kevin like Kevin Smith's career and also Universal Monsters and yeah. like if I, and Ed Wood. Like it was Kevin sure. Smith meets Ed Wood meets Universal Monsters, <laughs> yeah. um, and and, and Island of Doctor Moreau, which is also and on Island my list. Doctor, yeah, yeah, and a little bit of uh, there's a few other like there's a few other that get thrown in there. Like, um, I mean, I guess they're all kind of Island of Doctor Moreau related. But regardless, the uh, Clerks and Tusk are super. It's kind of like two movies smashed together, but then my my version of it. For sure. Uh, and one of my one of my gripes with Tusk, I, I I do like Tusk, but one of my gripes with it is the fact that Kevin isn't a horror fan, and he doesn't like blood. In fact, I put I put blood into a few of our animations, and he was like, I, "Can you cut the blood, man? It's just too bloody." <laughs> and I love blood. Like blood is my go-to. Yeah. Ironically, I hate it in real life. I pass out at the sight of blood, like nice. instantly. Yeah. Um, but I in movies I find blood to be amazing, and so. One of my one of my gripes with Tusk is that we never got to see that much blood. We never got to see the gore. We got to see the and I think the movie go like the comedy is in like the walrus. I didn't want the comedy to be in the creature. The creature to me was important. I wanted the comedy to be in like other th- other elements like mm. this the. the I didn't want people to see the dog man and laugh. I like just like I don't like it when people see the creature from the Black Lagoon or the Wolf Man and laugh. Like I think that that's those creatures are cool. Not that I don't I don't think they do, but I remember when I was a kid, there was an element of like making fun of Universal monster movies. Like that sure. was the cheap movie, and now as an adult, I'm like that wasn't cheap. They were using what they had. They were innovating. They were doing things that no one else had ever done, and that's kind of what I wanted to try to do. And uh, not, I want to do things that no one ever did. I think people have done stuff like what I've done, but something that I've never done, something that I've never seen done with like $2,000. Like sure. I wanted to try to do it with nothing like Ed Wood would have done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last one on my list is Ben Wheatley's In the Earth. Uh, another movie where people go out into the woods and then just in very small locations with like small amount of actors and uh horrible things happen <laughs> once they get out there you know man i don't know if i've ever seen that i've heard of it maybe i have i'm trying to think of it came out in 2020 it was like it, like right at the as the pandemic was opening it was like one of the first movies to come out after like the quarantine part of the pandemic you know ended. what i never saw that movie i remember hearing about it a bunch and i never checked it out i'm gonna have to watch it because super weird and great score yeah there was a bunch of movies that came out right around that time and i totally like the pandemic was should have been the best time to watch movies and it literally became the worst time to watch movies You're like it just on became all this <laughs> a, yeah well i was working on movies um I was in Minneapolis when the George Floyd murder happened, so we had like 
five months and working at the news. Mm. Like I was working at the news when Minneapolis was burning down and I was sending footage to CNN and everyone else and Fox and everyone to get the news out there. So that was like our camera guys. And I was the editor, like sending it off and trying to find the footage. So my life went in a weird different direction at that point. And so I, uh, I missed a lot. Um, and I'm sort of, that. that's actually the last like year I've been, I moved to Atlanta and, uh, not because of the Minnesota stuff. It just completely unrelated, yeah. but I moved to Atlanta and, um, I put a projection screen in my living room, like a giant projector. I've always wanted to have like a drive-in theater in my living room. Yeah. So I put that in and now I've been able to go back and actually like watch the movies that I missed over the last five years. Um, which has been fantastic to go back and actually take, you know, a couple days a week, sit down and I work from home too, which is nice because I'm home at eight o'clock, kids are in bed and I can actually watch a movie now at the oh, news. I was nice. at the news to like 1030 or whatever. I couldn't just sit down and watch a movie. So I've been catching up. So I'm glad you brought that one up because that was one that was on my list and, uh, I've been meaning to watch. Awesome. Or not meaning to watch. I totally forgot it existed and now I should, <laughs> now but you, will you know, watch. There are movies like that where, you know, people go out into the woods, messed up things happen. I mean, Evil Dead was, the cabin itself is a big piece of that, going out to the woods. What's my take on Evil Dead? Sam Raimi is, like, easily one of the most influential people on me. Uh, after we, I finished the edit of Greywood's plot, Daniel turned to me and jokingly, like, I, I, we watched the movie together, and it was the first time he had watched it from beginning to end. Mm. And he was, we, he looked at me, he's like, man, you know what movie or you know what filmmaker was more influential on you than you even know? And I'm like, who? He's like, David Lynch. You are such a David Lynch fan. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, man, there are weird dream sequences. This movie goes, like, I didn't see it until I saw it all together, but, like, the dreaminess of this movie, the weird use of, like, there's there isn't any actual Wizard of Oz music, but there's a reference to like the way Wizard of Oz music plays, mm-hmm. and the the tree monsters are vaguely a reference to. I was uh, the scariest part of Wizard of Oz to me when I was a kid was always the trees that throw the apples at Dorothy. Oh yeah, like, for some reason that freaked me out, and so that's kind of where the tree monsters come from when Keith is like running through the woods, nice, um, or or Miles is running through the woods, and so that um. For me, the, the uh, it was interesting for Dan to say that because David Lynch is not, he's one of my favorite directors and I love David Lynch. I, Blue Velvet is one of my favorite movies ever made. Yeah. But I never thought of him as an influence because my movies are so silly and so just, I don't know, they're just such, they're so odd. Yeah. But it de- David definitely played an influence on some of the like direct, style of what i do and the the fact that i'm go i will take the audience in this place where i'm like no we're gonna see what their dreams look like like we're it doesn't matter where we're at but you know this guy's uh uh, cartoon birds landing on his head or like the cartoon (laughs) scene where he's talking about the killer hobo story like yeah dan's just like you have a weird gall that no one else has just go like no i'm gonna do animation right here and i don't care what you think yeah why not (laughs) might as well right (laughs) well i i'll close off my puzzle pieces with i want to be your dog by the stooges so uh throw that in there nice yes i that was uh, that's hilarious uh when we were uh, when we were making uh gray woods plot we were trying to think of what songs we wanted what uh 
covers because I I knew I wanted I knew this movie wasn't going to be comfortable for people. So I'm like, the only way I'll give them a little comfort is if I play songs that they know, but I can't afford the rights to anything. So sure. I'm going to get public domain songs, you know, from the 30s and 40s and or that no one knows where they came from. And I'm going to have friends, musician friends, recreate them. And luckily, I have a ton of musician friends. And I reached out to them and I was like, hey, would you be willing to do a cover of this? And just luckily, a lot of people were, you know, three people were willing to do it. And originally, Greywood's Plot actually had two contemporary songs in them that I was going to get the rights to, mm -hmm. um, just like kind of underground bands. And I ended up cutting both of those songs out and replacing them with other tracks. Okay. But while we were thinking about songs, I remember at one point, Daniel jokingly was like, we need something with dogs in it, like get along little doggies, but not that, but something like it. And I was like, I think we can use get along little doggies. Yeah, like, I think not? that's a, that's a <laughs> old song that we can use. And we did. And that was one of the songs that made it into the movie. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. It's fun when you can, uh, throw a little, again, it's almost like an Easter egg kind of thing, like getting a song yeah. that like just kind of fits in so perfect like that. Yeah. Cause in my head, the cabin was always more important. So it's home on the range cause home plays a big part of it. And home on the range also always kind of felt a little bit like, um, there's no place like home. For some sure. reason, I always put those two things together, and there's a lot of Wizard of Oz concepts in this movie. So Home on the Range was a big one, and then House of the Rising Sun. I just I mm. dig that track, and that, and it's one of my dad's favorite songs. We learned it on the guitar. It's one of the first songs we learned on the guitar together. Yeah. So I was like, my dad's going to hate this movie. Absolutely <laughs> hate it. But like, like, there's nothing my dad will hate more than like a couple you know, beta males being idiots and then gore. <laughs> like my dad hates all of that. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, if anything, and he sits through the movie, I need to give him something to compliment me on. So I know he still hasn't watched it. Or if he has, he hasn't brought it up. But when he does watch it and he brings it up, I know exactly what he's going to say. And that's like, that that I really like that version of House of the Rising Sun. That was really cool. Yeah, <laughs> gotta have something to uh, hook him in there. So yeah, that works. <laughs> well, uh, it, we'll just close it up with: Is there, uh, you know, like a story or something from uh, the making that you'd like to share that maybe you didn't get a chance to talk about? Oh man, you know this. It's funny because the making of movies are so complex. I think and. Uh, for me, you know what? I was just, I'm just, this is a really weird story, but I'm just going to throw it in there right now. Everyone right now is talking about Terrifier 2. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, I shall never listen to this so I can say this here. And she probably wouldn't be that mad if I said it anyway, but uh, who knows? But I'm going to tell the story anyway. Um, everyone's talking about how people are throwing up and passing out at Terrifier 2. Yeah. And, at our very first screening of Greywood's plot, Daniel's wife was super nervous to watch it, like super paranoid to check out the movie. And she'd seen it like in different iterations, but it was the first time seeing it in a theater, in the dark. It's just a different experience. Sure. So she she had had some drinks beforehand. And I was, it, this just made me think of that because I wanted to send the joke to Daniel of, of like, hey, you know, we never had anyone throw up or pass out in our movie except your wife drinking too much at our premiere. And <laughs> it counts. She, did not throw, she did not throw up or pass out. But she did do the funniest thing I've ever seen in a movie. And that is 
forget that she's watching her husband on screen and re- start thinking of it completely as the character and was like annoyed with the character and nice. so mad at her own husband who uh, she had forgot was him and like she's drunkenly sitting there in her seat going like this guy's an asshole <laughs> yeah. Doug Graywoods what a jerk what a piece of shit I thought that was the funniest thing in the world <laughs> that's awesome that's like the that's the real feedback that you want from people it is you know <laughs> and that that premiere screening was in Minneapolis and it was like all all friends and family and it was so fun to hear friends and family's reaction because half of them, more than half of them, aren't horror movie fans. So, like, the second that stuff starts happening, you just, like, the air left the room. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> and then you also got, like, just the, the reaction from people as we were watching it. Um, but it's always, being in the theater with people is, it's the most important thing. It's what I think film festivals actually help serve the independent filmmaker for is if you were to do like a test screening of your movie you would have to rent out a theater it would cost you you know hundreds of dollars plus you'd have to set up your dcp plus you'd have to bring in the audience yeah like it's such a challenge but treating the film festival like your test screening is so advantageous so many people you know they uh make their movie they go to film festivals and then they release that version i tweak the hell out of it after every single screening where i'm like oh yeah that audio didn't work that scene didn't work i'm gonna cut this cut this cut this because i felt different with this audience of horror fans than i did with this audience of comedy fans or i see it with a comedy group and i'm like well i can get them quicker if i do this funny thing here sure so um you essentially if you go to the film festivals you essentially get a uh screening that costs you as much as your dcp your flight and your hotel room or whatever yeah yeah no that's it's great advice to filmmakers like because that is important to continue to uh understand where the film is at this particular point in its process and to get it to where it needs to be so absolutely that film festival chunk is like six months to a year, but that movie is going to live for forever. So yeah. whatever you have to do to make that forever a little better, go for it. Absolutely. Well, Josh, thank you so much for covering Deadstream with me and for talking about Greywoods. Uh, tell people where they can find you and your films. Yeah, I'm all over the social medias, at uh, Josh Stifter on Twitter, at Flush Studios on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook. I think we have a bunch of pages on there as well. I'm not on TikTok. I'm I'm on TikTok, but I never use it. I just that's the one that I like. I even got the most views on it of anything else. I think like I was getting you know tons of views, but I just didn't have fun working on TikTok for some reason. It just didn't hit me, so I stopped using it pretty much. But um, you can go to joshstifter.com to see a bunch of stuff. I have I actually right now. Hopefully they aren't sold out by the time this airs, and they shouldn't be. Um, but I'm selling my first movie, The Good Exorcist, on Blu-ray, a T-shirt, the first two comics of the Father Gill comic series, um, and they're like a, the the very first 100 presses, which are like one of a kinds because I'll do not one of a kinds, but one of 100s. Yeah. Because I will, uh, I'm going to be changing the next issue. So if you want this, or changing them with the next printing, fixing some things and whatever. So if you want that weird version that <laughs> no one else has, and it'll be autographed. The Father Gill box set, the Good Exorcist box set, is available at joshstifter.com. And uh, Grey Woods Plot, you can see that terrorfilms.net is a good place to go to find out where it is. It's uh, coming out through Terror Films, and it's available on 
iTunes, Tubi, Amazon, all of the the normal culprits where you can find digital and there will be a Blu-ray hopefully coming out in the next few months. Awesome. Well, uh, I will have links in the show notes and Josh, hopefully we'll get you back again sometime soon. Do it anytime. I love this. This is my favorite show to come on. <laughs> I'm Josh Bell. And I'm Jason Harrison. We co-host a podcast called Awesome Movie Year. Each season, we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. We deep dive into these specific years and we pick out why they were such great years for films. We go over the biggest hits, the biggest flops, the best picture, and some personal picks, some cult classics. Years we've covered in past seasons include 1994, 2003, 1977, and 1984, and we've got all of film history to look forward to. So check us out at awesomemovieyear.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Deadstream and also about Josh Stifter's new film, Greywood's Plot. Make sure you check out both of those films and make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever it is you listen to podcasts. I told you at the top of the show that we just switched podcast hosts, and so uh, I'm pretty sure everything went smooth. But, you know, there's a lot of ins and outs and buttons to push and things to do. So just in case, make sure you're subscribed. And, of course, if you like what we do here on the show, you can rate and review us. We'd appreciate your five stars over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Good Pods, wherever it is that you could do that. We would definitely appreciate it. And we are on social media at PiecingPod, both Twitter and on Instagram, and then our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. Last but not least, I want to let you know about our Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, as well as bonus content from Awesome Movie Year, and stuff from my music career. I am currently... Uh, I'm done with my new album, uh, More Content, which comes out later this year. I'm currently getting all the distribution things in order and all that kind of stuff, artwork, all those things. But uh, it's coming soon. But I will be posting more snippets and sneak peeks on the Patreon. And people who subscribe to the Patreon will get to hear the album first. So uh, sign up if you want. Lots of great content. So that's patreon.com slash Rosen. And speaking of my music, let's close this out with a piece of my music. And it being the Halloween season, I've been playing like, I don't know, creepy and scary stuff from either my albums or various pieces I've made for things over the years. Uh, I'm going to go with an old track called The House. This would be a good one uh, for this movie Deadstream where this idiot goes into a house with cameras and it ends up being haunted. So yeah, let's go with The House. Um, I don't even remember what this song sounds like. Hopefully it's good. It's from 2013, so it's pretty damn old. But uh, yeah, let's play it. Why not? This is The House. It's an unreleased track of mine uh, that was in some libraries and things like that. And hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.